Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. A mother weeps over a stillborn child. A husband is torn from his wife by a tragic accident. The tears of an eight-year-old fall on a daddy's casket. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And the question wails, God, don't you care? Why me? Why my friend? Why my business? It's the timeless question. The question asked by literally every person that has stalked this globe. As the winds howled and the sea raged, the impatient and frightened disciples screamed their fear at the sleeping Jesus. Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? With all the patience that only one who cares can have, he answered the question. He hushed the storm so the shivering disciples wouldn't miss his response. Jesus answered once and for all the aching question of man, Where is God when I hurt? Welcome into the Archbishop's Corner, where Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair answers your questions from the most painful to the most profound. The following is an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on May 8, 2016, on the seventh Sunday of Easter. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can submit that question by email to archbishop at wjmj.org. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Once again, that email address is archbishop at wjmj.org. Now we hope you enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. Archbishop, it's good to be with you once again as we meet in the Archbishop's Corner. Now, I know that you're very busy, especially during this month of May. You've got so many things occupying your time, including diaconate ordinations and priestly ordinations during this month. Well, that's a, those are happy things for a bishop to do. I presume that everything that a bishop does is happy, no? Oh, well, most things, yes. Oh, okay. How is the vocation situation looking for the Archdiocese of Hartford now? Well, we have, what, 23 seminarians uh, now I'm grateful for each and every one of them, but we could use triple or quadruple that number. Uh, so we have to keep uh, working and praying for vocations. Our uh, vocation director, Father Jeff Gubiati, has just come up with a wonderful initiative, the St. John Vianney Vocation Prayer Society. And if you go on our Dasson website, you can learn more about it. But it's meant to be uh, a prayer apostolate to ah. pray for vocations. And obviously... Uh, it also has to do with uh, giving resources for that prayer, also uh, encouraging and inviting people to become uh, priests and, and uh, religious sisters. The John Vianney Society itself is particularly focused on uh, on priests. In fact, I have in front of me, it's, this is what it, it says, as a member, I commit myself to daily prayer for an increase of vocations for the Archdiocese of Hartford and all the world that many men and women will respond to God's call. I'll also pray for the perseverance of priests, religious, and seminarians, and an outpouring of grace upon them. I will also encourage vocations and invite people to be open to God's call and respond generously. And I think in those few sentences, it really captures the challenge and the obligation that each and every person has in the church uh, with regard to vocations. 
And so how, I would encourage membership in this. And how does somebody become a member of, of this prayer society? Well, you can go to, uh, the information is available on our website, and I know this is brand new. Father's going to be distributing these things in the, in the uh, parishes. But uh, if you go to vocations at aohct.org, which is our archdiocesan address, uh, you'll find out information. So vocations at aohct.org. We, in the future, will be hearing more about that, I'm sure. Yes. And so this, this ordination, these ordinations to permanent diaconate and priesthood in particular, are very welcome for the Archdiocese. Ten new permanent deacons and five new priests, God willing. Well, today is Mother's Day, a holiday steeped in tradition, although many view it as just another hallmark holiday. It's one of those days that we should all stop and take notice of the special woman or women in our lives that have been there for us through thick and thin. Now, this is the third Mother's Day I'm celebrating without my mother, and I know you, Archbishop, lost your mother years earlier. Is, is there anything special that you do in remembrance of your mother on Mother's Day? Not particularly that day. I pray for my deceased parents every day when I pray the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was actually, this year was the 10th anniversary of my mother's death on April 23rd. Uh, so that prompted me to uh, remember in a particular way uh, my mother. Yes, mothers are very special to all of us, our parents, our mothers in particular on Mother's Day. And whether they're living or deceased, uh, we always remain close to them. Do you have any recommendations as to how to celebrate this day, make it special, besides sending flowers or a Hallmark card? Well, yes, praying for our mothers, uh, either for their uh, continued uh, blessing and good health in this world or for their eternal repose in the next. And, of course, doing something special to, to <laughs> to actually uh, be with our, our mothers or, or, or call them or, or send them a greeting or something. Spending time. Sometimes that's the most precious gift that we can give, huh? Absolutely. Well, this week is National Etiquette Week, a time to recognize etiquette and protocol in all areas of American life. And one thing I wish people would learn, other than the rules to getting on and off an elevator, is proper cell phone etiquette in public, <laughs> huh? Nothing irks me more than someone speaking loudly on the phone or taking calls while they're working. What about you, Archbishop? What forgotten manner is your pet peeve? Well, I'll tell you the truth. I think, um, for me, one of the things that I find uh, in great decline is uh, people dressing properly and respectfully in a given situation. Uh, you know, I always told our seminarians that uh, you don't dress for yourself because you don't look at yourself. You dress for other people because they have to look at you. And I must say sometimes we become so casual and to the pr- point of, in some cases, where it's really disrespectful or inappropriate. Does that and, include um, for Mass, too? Well, of course. But uh, I'll tell you. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Archbishop, but it, it just happened this past week. Somebody came into into church for for Sunday Mass dressed in— an athletic costume, okay? It, it, it looks like they just came off of the track. and they, they Perhaps they did. Uh, and, you know, there are situations, I mean, we, we always are pulled by, in different directions, you know, to say, well, aren't we just lucky that they even came to Mass? Why should we complain? Uh, but, you know, there has to be a, a certain balance in life. It's not just about Mass. It's about everything, that the way you dress is a way that you show respect for a given situation or, or a given person or whatever, you know. So I don't want to belabor it because uh, it's a sign of our times. But since you asked me where where I think that courtesy has suffered, I certainly think that's one of the ways that it has. 
Wednesday of this week, Archbishop, is the 15th annual Donate a Day's Wage to Charity. It's held annually the second Wednesday of May. People are asked to give a day's pay to charity of their choice, or if unable to do so, if they can't afford that donation, to donate their time to a charity. I like that idea. Don't you think that that would be a great generator of support for the Archbishop's annual appeal? Well, I want our listeners to know that I didn't put you up to saying no, that. No, you didn't, and you didn't no, pay me for, to say that either. No, but yes, it would be a good way. And uh, I think, though, that many people, including many of our Catholic people, are much more generous than just a day's wage to charity. I think this message of, of, of that particular day would be good for people who maybe have not given anything to any charitable cause, that that would be a, a, a good beginning. And this week is Friday the 13th which carries the superstitious stigma of bad luck. Thankfully, there's only one Friday the 13th this year. Do you have any any habits born out of superstitions, Archbishop? No. No superstitions. And it wouldn't make any difference to me if every month this year had a Friday the 13th. I have to laugh sometimes, you know, on an airplane, they don't have a row 13. Mm. And I've told people, I assure you, if row 13 doesn't get there, neither will row 12 or 14. <laughs> so I just don't understand why, uh, you know, these kind of things are... You know, in an age when people supposedly are so secularized and uh, many of them don't go to church or practice religion, but these kind of things still are deep in our our consciousness. Now, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners. And before we get to those questions, let's look at our gospel for today. On this seventh Sunday of Easter, today's gospel is taken from the 17th chapter of John's gospel. The resurrected Jesus prays. For what? For whom? Take a listen to today's gospel account as it is dramatically presented, and then we're going to ask Archbishop Blair what he feels the Lord is saying to us today through these words of inspiration. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me, may be with me where I am, to behold my glory which thou hast given me in thy love for me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these know that thou hast sent me. I made known to them thy name, And I will make it known that the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, on this particular gospel? Well, again, we're presented with these magnificent uh, words of Jesus, the prayer of Jesus, that he prays not only for the disciples who are there, but for all who will believe, and he prays for unity and God knows that the world uh, disunity is a work of evil and of Satan. And uh, unity is the gift of God and the fundamental truth about God. Uh, And so 
here Jesus is praying that those who believe in uh, in him and that are sent out into the world will be one. And they will be one so that the world may know that Jesus is who he says he is. And very sadly, of course, we know that uh, there's so much division in the world, even among Christians. And this is a great wound uh, to the to the work of preaching the gospel. You know, when we say in the creed that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, that gift of unity is there no matter what. It can't be taken away because it's of the very nature of the church to be one. But it can be sinned against and and wounded uh, and compromised in many ways, as we see in our sinful and fallen world. Do you think Jesus realized through this prayer that the the Christian family itself would be fractured and is praying for the unity of of Christians too. Christ came into a sinful and divided world, and uh, so there have always been these tensions between people and uh, divisions. And uh, Christ is praying that they be overcome, uh, so the church can be an effective sign of of the gospel. It's a beautiful prayer. Jesus prays that the the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And here we go back again to that love principle, the unifying principle above all else. Does this gospel have anything to say about the importance that Jesus places on our coming to God in communion with our brothers and sisters rather than coming to God individually? Well, it's not possible to come to God just individually. Uh, that, that's an impossibility uh, because uh, the, the way we come to God is by hearing the message uh, and seeing it put into practice by other human beings with whom we are in communion. We can't receive the life-saving, life-giving sacraments uh, without being in communion with others. So that it's, it's just impossible. You know, or as uh, I, I mentioned, you know, sometimes that uh, people today think they're the Christ's sheep, but they're a flock of one. Mm. There's no such thing as a flock of one sheep. Um, you, you, it, it, it's of its very nature. It's communal. It's the body of Christ. And so this is inseparable from, from reality, inseparable from the truth, inseparable from God and from Christ to be in unity. So if you really examine this gospel, then, Archbishop, what, what this is helping us to realize is the importance of participating mass together with the community of faith. So don't say that I can come to God alone, or I don't need to go to church, I don't need to participate in Mass, I can do my own thing. Basically, the Lord is saying, come to me united with your brothers and sisters. Yes, I mean, we have to be part of the whole Christ, uh, head and members, as St. Paul says. Christ is the head, and we are all the members of the one body of Christ, and so you can't, it's, a, it's just a contradiction of the whole truth of the gospel and of all that Christ taught to think that we are just uh, isolated islands by ourselves. Some look at prayer as a way of getting special favors, like praying to win the lottery. Or we may think of prayer as a way of changing God's mind and getting him to do what we want done. Or prayer is like a fire extinguisher. It, be, it, it comes in handy in case of emergencies. What does this prayer of Jesus teach us about prayer? Well, our, our Lord, of course, the, the supreme prayer for us is the Our Father. When that's that's the norm of all prayer. Um, but this prayer uh, in John 17 um, is uh, more intimately the prayer of the Son to the Father, of Jesus himself to his heavenly Father. 
but it is uh, certainly in keeping with the nature of the Our Father itself. Um, uh, and uh, so I think all that Jesus uh, taught and modeled with regard to prayer and the importance of prayer is something that we have to put into practice. Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, we're told, in mm-hmm. the gospel. And so we run around and, and uh, think that you know, we can just get by. But the more we would devote ourselves to prayer, the happier our life would be and the better the world would be. Maybe it says something about praying not only for yourself, but also for the world or for your brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And again, the Our Father. It's not just about me, me, me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the Our Father is the model. Let's take a few questions from some of our listeners, Archbishop. Rebecca from Rockville. Was Jesus in hell between his crucifixion and resurrection? I'm confused because in the Apostles' Creed, which our parish recited during Lent, it says Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. What does this mean? Well, unfortunately, on a, the length of a radio program, yeah. <laughs> I can't give a, as detailed an answer as as like to give. But it goes back to the uh, something that appears in uh, one of uh, St. Peter's uh, epistles about Christ uh, preaching to the dead uh, in the underworld. Uh, so hell here doesn't mean a place of uh, punishment. Uh, it, it, it means the, the world of the dead, the underworld, that Christ was able to bring the message of his resurrection uh, to those uh, just people who had died uh, before his coming uh, to bring them the gift of redemption. That's a very short answer uh, to, to, to the question. So it's a descent because it's into death. Uh, but the hell part uh, is not uh, hell as we would uh, strictly uh, define it or describe it uh, today. I mean, our use of the word mm-hmm. uh, compared to its use in the creed. Then we get into the area of theological and scriptural speculation. But the, tr- the truth is simply that Christ descended into the world of the dead and brought the message of the resurrection. There's a beautiful icon the Eastern churches have of Christ uh, doing this where Adam uh, and Eve are, are there, and Adam, Christ is extending his hand downward, to, and Adam is lifting his hand upward, uh, you know, that, that, that Christ has come to, to deliver from, uh, to bring the gift of redemption. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on May 8, 2016, on the seventh Sunday of Easter. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can actually voice your question by calling the Archbishop's hotline at 203-805-5047. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Please call 203-805-5047 to voice record your question. Please continue to enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. Michael from Southbury says, I feel as if I'm fading away from my religion. Years ago, I would never have considered missing Mass on Sunday. Now it all depends on how I feel on a Sunday morning. It's hard to motivate myself to get to church, but it's so easy to just say, everybody's doing it, why can't I? How can I rejuvenate my faith and interest? Well, Michael, first of all, thank you for that honest uh, acknowledgement of where you're at right now. We talk about contrition for sin as being perfect and imperfect. And perfect contrition is when I do things, when I'm sorry for my sins out of love for God, and imperfect contrition is when I do it because I'm afraid of going to hell. And both of them work. Both of them are effective uh, to get us to be repentant for our sins. 
Although I dare say if, if, if there's no love of God involved, then there can't be repentance. The point is that when it comes to the practice of our faith, something similar is at work. When the world around us is helping us to do our religious duties, it's a great support. But when we are, feel we're doing it alone and we don't have that support, it makes it all the harder. You know, if somebody says, we're all going to Mass, come on, join us, that's easier than if nobody's there and you mm-hmm. have to do it by yourself. And sadly, that's where the world is today. So I guess that my com- little comparison is it may not be a perfect environment. In fact, it's not a perfect environment for practicing our faith with all the supports and encouragement. It's a very imperfect uh, motivation today where we're kind of left alone. But it's all the mer- more meritorious then and all the more important then that we ask God for the grace to, to do our duty and to practice our faith. I think one of the things I'd encourage you, Michael, is to maybe strike up a friendship or get involved in your parish in such a way that you, you fraternize with people who do go to church every week, who would give you the encouragement to go. Uh, to strengthen you in your resolve. But the bottom line is to get down on your knees and pray to God for the grace and strength not to abandon this important source of grace and of eternal life for yourself. And there's another message in Michael's question, too, for parishioners who are at Mass. Be attentive to your fellow parishioners and show some joy that they're there. You know, if I think to myself, if I miss Mass today, who in the world will even care? Mm. Will anybody even notice if I'm there? Uh, That makes a big difference than if I know that Father so-and-so is going to say, gee, where was Michael? I missed seeing you, you know? You know what I mean? We're all human. We need that that encouragement and that that if we, we don't do something, we're missed. And that's something I think that's greatly lacking in the church today. And that's not traditional for Catholics to be that way because there were so many of us. But we need ways to to welcome people and if they're not there, to, to miss them. And they know that they're missed. And I think that can be a great help to, to helping people like Michael to uh, persevere in practicing their faith. And it's not just the responsibility of the priest to notice when somebody is missing and to pick up the phone and call them and, and say, you, you know, Michael, I, I missed seeing you at Mass today. Were you sick or something? But it, it's the responsibility of the entire parish community to to put together a structure that that be a welcoming community and a hospitable community, but also a community of faith that recognizes when somebody's missing. Certainly, or even a group of parishioners who get together and go out to have breakfast or brunch after Sunday Mass every week. So you feel that you're, you know, there are people who, who know you and where you're missed. Um, I mean, we're all human. Obviously, we, we don't go to Mass because we want somebody to miss us if we're not there. We go to give glory to God and to pray uh, and to get the spiritual strength we need to live. But we're all human beings, too, and we need that sense of belonging, especially in the world today. Mm. Because, you know, I mean, before it was all part of family life and everything. And Now, Michael doesn't say... He only uses the singular. I, I gather that perhaps he's, he's not, you know, he might be by himself. Mm. All the more we need to, to offer that encouragement. This is absolutely crucial. So true. Joan from Hartford says, You recently answered a question about how to pray and recommended first praise God for being God. This raised a longstanding question for me. 
Why would the creator of all things, the maker of an immense universe who has always been and will always be, need my praise? Is that praise to benefit God or for my benefit? I would say, Joan, it's for our benefit. It is our glory to praise God. And you're right, God needs nothing from us. But to the extent that God is all love and all goodness, uh, all beauty, all truth, it is for our benefit uh, to praise him and to thank him for, for his blessings. That really is, the, uh, you've asked a question that, uh, that I think uh, really requires that simple answer. It's, it's, it's for our benefit. George from Watertown says, My son is a sophomore majoring in theology at Providence College. Does the Archdiocese have any summer jobs, internships for theology majors? Interesting question. Uh, none that I know of. Um, but, uh, of course, we're always uh, eager to encourage uh, young people in their interest in theology. Uh, maybe George could even possibly have an interest in a vocation to the priesthood. I would hope—now, I don't know the activities at Providence College well enough to know, but I, I would think they would offer— uh, ways to encourage young people in these things. And here in the Archdiocese, I think the best thing that, assuming that George doesn't want to talk to a vocation director, because just because he's interested in theology doesn't mean he necessarily has an interest in the priesthood, but to talk to his parish priest, talk to the parish priest and see where there might be something. If George were studying communications, for instance, we take interns at the Office of Radio and Television. And if I might say, too, this thing about uh, my point that just because somebody's interested in theology doesn't necessarily mean that they're interested in the priesthood. You know, in the seminaries today, many of the faculty are, are laypersons, men and women, and they are really excellent theologians, and uh, they're, they're not, their call was not to priesthood or religious life, but to Catholic theology, and they do a splendid job not only teaching in our seminaries, but also teaching in uh, various universities and colleges and other places. So uh, George may have a, 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 a vocation to that as well, and we want to do everything we can to encourage it. Andy from East Haven says, since it's a presidential year, will we hear more about voting with a Catholic conscience during the elections? Well, yes, Andy. Uh, we bishops have already uh, revised, have reprinting our uh, faithful citizenship document that talks about, uh, I mean, it's, there's nothing... Uh, astoundingly new in what we're saying because the principles are still the same about the formation of conscience and the duties of citizenship. Some of the issues we've nuanced uh, in the sense that there are, are new issues at work. We certainly have given attention to the things that Pope Francis has given attention to in the realm of social justice and uh, good stewardship of uh, the world's resources. So those kinds of moral and uh, ethical considerations are part of uh, our, our, our document. I think if you go on the web to the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, you certainly can find a link to faithful citizenship uh, and uh, for, th for this year's election, and it could be helpful to, to Andy. So that would be usccb.org. Yes. Leslie from Waterbury. How does the ongoing persecution of Christians in the Middle East impact the church in America? Well, in two ways. When one member of the body suffers, all suffer, uh, to, to be biblical about it. So as the body of Christ, the church, uh, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when they are persecuted, hurt, and killed, so are we in a certain sense. And the other impact it has is that many of the 
Christians in the Middle East belong uh, to ancient Eastern Catholic churches, both Catholic and Orthodox. Many of them have here uh, in the United States communities uh, that are deeply affected by what's happening to their friends and relatives, their families in the Middle East. This is uh, something of of grave uh, concern to all of us, and we want to do everything we can to help and pray for an end to these persecutions and to assist those who are surviving. I think we have time for one more quick question, Archbishop. Uh, Hilda from New Hartford says, My father is in the process of writing his will and last intentions. He wants to donate his body to science for research. Does the Catholic Church allow this? Yes, we do allow it with the understanding that uh, eventually the remains are are given uh, proper uh, disposition, proper uh, burial, or the Church does permit uh, cremation uh, as long as it's not used as some kind of sign of a denial of our belief in the resurrection of the body. Uh, But we do permit that, yes. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, as we move ever closer to the great solemnity of Pentecost, we implore the gift of the Holy Spirit upon your church that we may be renewed in bearing witness to the gospel and in being courageous and living our faith and fulfilling the obligations of that faith, which are not a burden, but are meant to be signs of love and a source of grace and strength and encouragement for us to live the faith that we have been privileged to receive. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you next week at 7 o'clock on Sunday with a repeat again at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.